Hello folks, episode 41 of the podcast. Today I'm joined by Christy Cons. This is a great conversation. I had a lot of fun. We spoke about various topics and got into some common ground regarding personal development. We spoke a lot about the early stages of the Romanian scene and then just the usual stuff. But yeah, we really, really got deep on some topics and I'm sure everyone listening is going to enjoy it. And before we jump in, let me remind you this podcast is sponsored by the Syntho app. This is my music production platform, which I've spent the last almost three years now dedicating my life to it, trying to provide the ultimate learning experience. And I think I am getting there with my mission. So if you make music and you want to get better or you want to start making music, I am your guy. Honestly, there is nothing like it on the market. And each week we're inviting new people, putting up new content, and we can give you feedback. Literally, you name it, we'll do it and you will be able to achieve your dreams as an artist. And anyway, let's get into this one. Actually, before we continue, like, comment, subscribe as well. And if you're listening on Spotify, please give me five stars and all that stuff. Let's go. All good, man. So thank you very much for making the time for the podcast. How have you been? My pleasure. All good. Yeah. Started a new year with fresh fresh power, Um, working on different projects. You know how it goes. (laughs) So what's different this year for you? Uh, I don't know. I I think I'm gonna I'm gonna focus more on um, diversifying my my spectrum of of creativity. Um, maybe exploring different genres. I mean, I've I've always tried to explore different genres, but I'll I'll probably be a little bit more serious about it this year. Uh, thinking about doing a trip hop album, um, also working my way around Pro Tools for mixing, uh, doing some some mixing jobs here and there. So yeah, just and that apart from being a dad, which is actually the main the main job that I have. That's the main project now. Then that's the main project. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I um, since speaking to you, I noticed you're spending a lot of time in the studios. And is that always been the case, or is it now more than ever you're really dialing in? Um, on the I think stuff? yeah. I, well, I have, but I think I wasn't fully, um, I wasn't fully taking advantage of the time that I was spending in the studio. I was a little bit either procrastinating or just. Uh, I don't know, maybe not not focusing enough on on uh, what I really wanted to achieve, and the the pandemic sort of changed that perspective for me, and now I'm a lot more focused. I mean, maybe it came with age, maybe it came with just a desire to be more productive, more creative. I wish I would have done it earlier, but you know, it's I don't know. That's just life sometimes. So have you found now that you're busier with the child that you're actually making more use of your time in the studio? Yes, certainly. Yeah. I mean, I have to. Uh, There are a couple of hours in the day where I need to take care of her, uh, to give the mother some time to rest, first of all, because it's quite a challenging task, um, especially physically. Also mentally, of course, but physically you're not sleeping properly. You're sleep deprived for months and months um so yeah you you need to be there and you need to be focused especially when when you have some time to achieve some tasks that you that you set yourself you gotta be there full on yeah i found that that 
I have to be a lot more intentional and kind of say at the start, right, what do I want to get out of this session because I'm doing other projects, et cetera. Whereas there's been times when I had five days to make music, but by the end of it, I made nothing because I kind of sat there like, oh, I've got so much time to do this. And then in the end, nothing ever comes out. I know that that's a, that's a very interesting um, thing because I've, I've noticed that as well. Uh, I'm not sure if it's procrastination or just the, the system of implementation of, of focus and work in general, but um, I've been reading this interesting book that probably a lot of people know about. It's called Atomic Habits, and it, it basically explains that you, you, should, um, you should make a system of small habits that you implement each day in order to get more work done um, and not necessarily focus on a task. But then again, for us, I think it's important to have a goal in mind. Let's say sort of, I want three, I want to make three tracks this week, but then how do you implement a system that actually takes you to that goal? You know? Yeah. It's interesting. I think, I think one part is that, you know, music's considered an art so then some people think, okay, the inspiration is going to come to you. But then on the other side, if you turn up every day and have a little ritual where you sit down, aim to do this, aim to do that, and you have um, measurable goals by the end of it, it, it may just be in today's two-hour session, I want to lay down a kick drum, a hi-hat, a clap, and three synth lines. And I even found when I've taught people, I'm like, okay, instead of thinking, okay, I want to make an absolute banger today, just write five different five different channels yeah. inside your project. So just focus on right. one bass, one pad, one lead, and then maybe five drum sounds. And then you've actually got a track. However, I think sometimes you can think of it as the whole big thing instead of, you know, breaking it down into incremental steps. Of course, of course. Yeah, I totally agree. The thing is, um, in in my system, I, I mean, in my workflow now, I'm trying to get some things going quite fast. And I think that's a very important thing to not necessarily um thing just kind of work on instinct but then you need the repetition to to get to that point right you need to constantly be making something so yeah i think first of all setting yourself or setting the idea of doing a banger is is wrong from the get-go because it puts a lot of pressure on your shoulders and that can create a block for you uh that that certainly was the case for me uh, for a lot of time until I realized that creativity is just, first of all, it, it needs to, and it comes into a certain uh, way of thinking when you reach a kind of a, obviously the, the state of flow, um, but in order to achieve that state of flow, you need to be mentally clear, mentally, f not necessarily focused, but just just at peace with yourself, if I can, if I can yeah. call it that. I was listening to something about the state of flow and they say it takes 22 minutes to get into that, you know, that flow of what literally where that's the only thing you're doing. You almost don't think about it. And if you say, check your phone before them 22 minutes, then it's literally back to square one. It's not like, okay, today I really want to get into um, making music, et cetera. I want to get to this state where your hands are just doing the thing. And this is why I think DJing is such an amazing thing because for many of us now, it's probably the only time we're truly just present in the moment, playing records, playing this, playing that. You know, you're not checking your phone, you're not really talking, you're just doing the thing. And obviously, when even when you're making music, someone may talk to you like, I don't know, your wife, your kid, or you check that, the phone. And then when yeah. you snap out of it, 
trying to get back into that flow is really, really hard. And it, it's complicated. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, I think, I mean, first of all, this this concept of getting into a state of flow is uh, uncalculable. I mean, I don't, maybe scientifically first for a certain percentage of people, it takes 22 minutes. But of course that varies from, from person to person. And uh, if you, if you just try to think about it, then I think it, it, you know, it creates a, a handicap for, for you from the get go. So you shouldn't think about it. You should just do it. Um, but it, it's funny that you mentioned DJing because yeah, I, I totally agree that it is a moment where you can be in a state of flow, especially if you're playing records. I find that when I play records and I'm, I'm just focusing on doing that, then I'm really getting into that flow. But it's gotten to the point where you have to be so um, so open to to everybody, to talking to people. People come and I don't know either tell you something or ask you for something. That it's it's gotten quite complicated to to reach that state of flow in the DJ booth as well. I mean, you know what I mean, right? Everybody's 100%. kind of and on really, your yeah yeah I, yeah. I think that's why um, alcohol and drugs as well are hugely advocated by people doing these things because they further enhance the kind of you know just in the zone and even when you're sober sometimes i feel like it's hard to be still but then if i do have a drink i'm just seem to be more dialed in with things but it's not really something that i want to do but i do find that when i do say have a few drinks i will then feel a bit more at ease and get into the zone and you know everything starts of to course, do itself. yeah you because know. you're you're taking a little bit off of that pressure that i was mentioning earlier you know that that's basically the 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 point of having a drink or two yeah yeah it helps you get dialed in and and i spoke about this on another podcast how sometimes if i'm sober i can be a bit more stiff and i'm not really quite in the groove but then as i get going it just takes me a bit longer whereas say i've had a few drinks beforehand it might be full power straight away and i guess yeah. it comes back, yeah. comes back to that thing of like it takes that maybe 20 minutes to get into the state of flow and then then you're away that's why i think it's important to to get to the venue around an hour or an hour or so before your show, just to be able to ease yourself into that, the groove of the party. It happened uh, It happened to me last year in May. From certain circumstances, I, I was only able to to get to, to Sunwaves, the, the May Sunwaves. Uh, I was only able to get to the tent like 20 minutes before my set. And by the time I said hello to everybody, I had to start playing. And like 30 minutes into our, my set, I was thinking like, holy crap, I'm playing and, you know, and I, I, I didn't, I couldn't properly get into the mood of playing. So it took me another hour. And then I, I said to myself, look, I'm, I have to get there at least one hour before just to kind of get myself into the mental state of, of playing and kind of get the energy out of everybody so that I can align myself to the same vibe. Yeah. I quite like it when some, sometimes some things don't quite go right. But then because of that, you then realize how you can implement things in the future to, to maximize it. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's a normal, it's a normal process of learning. Yeah. So you mentioned some waves there. Why don't we take it right back to the start of your music production career? Because I know some waves has been a huge part of the whole um, growth of artists from Romania. How did you first get uh, exposed to this minimalist genre of music? Um, it was in my hometown of Craiova. So I'm from the Southwest of Romania, um, three hours drive away from Bucharest. There was, uh, this club, one of the oldest actually in Romania called Krypton club where, uh, Radu was a monthly resident. Uh, Rarish was constantly playing there. Um, and 
I was I was going out before the the minimal movement became a thing. Everybody was playing progressive tech house. So we had uh guests like uh Dave Siemens and Danny Howells and that sort of that sort of guests. Uh Moshik sometimes was very big and progressive. Um but I think their shift was back in 2004 or 5. Probably 2005, uh, I recall the first party where Radu was playing minimal and it basically changed his whole style of playing, obviously, from the from the structure of the tracks. They were actually the minimal back then was very, very minimal. So um, I recall some sorry, some Andre Kramel or Dominic Olberg or well, We Know Me Brothers tracks that were like quite, quite minimal. And uh due to his mixing skills it was very impressive because he would play three tracks two tracks he would play two records and then two cdjs so it was quite you you could see that it was quite creative in in the djing sense so how do you think this happened because it seems crazy that so many artists have come out of one country uh, with such a minimal sound do you think it was just a natural progression of the long parties, etc., or do you think there's other things involved? Uh, yeah, th- probably that was one of the the reasons. Uh, the other one was that at the beginning, it, at the genesis of of this minimal movement, um, were a series of parties with uh, obviously the RPR crew, Ricardo, uh, Zip, who was also playing quite minimal uh, at that time, if I recall correctly. Richie Horton was also very big back then, and he was a uh, also a minimal, minimal DJ, sort of not necessarily in the in the sense that he was playing minimal house. He was kind of playing a little bit differently, but um, that was one of the reasons. The other reason was that we were quite a close close group and influencing each other, which is cool. Probably that, yeah, probably that's why. Now I'm just thinking about because in, in my recent my recent thoughts have been on on uh, the influences that we have from from the music we listen to from our friends entourage and so forth, and I'm quite I'm quite impressed with the amount of quality music that's came out of the UK. But I love the fact that you have so many different subgenres that were were created there and so many different groups that have shared information between them i would have loved to have a little bit more of that diversity in romania that wasn't the case and i think we're just getting to that point now but it's you know it's been 15 years you guys were 25 years probably ahead of us in that sense you know that's interesting so so what was the thought process then from listening to radu for example to then making your own music well i think Ricardo was a big influence on everybody aesthetic wise. Uh, that, that includes Radu, Pedro and all of the, all of the, let's say senior producers. So the first generation of, of guys that, that have been making music and that aesthetic just kind of went on from, from one generation to another. Also because we didn't have access or finances to buy a lot of equipment. We were kind of just making digital music or into the box music um and that kind of created some limitations but probably most importantly was the the aesthetic i mean 
I don't want to blame the idea of making music just in the box because you can make any kind of music in the box. But we didn't have access or maybe we we just didn't have the the spectrum to look outside of our our interest zone at the time. So how did you start making music then? Was it all self-taught or did you say, right, I'm going to go and study or? I I was kind of trying to make music uh, ever since I was in high school. I had a... Um, I had downloaded Cubase and Reason with a friend of mine, Claudio, who actually does the artwork for, for my label. And we had some sessions, but I wouldn't properly call them sessions. They were just uh, failed uh, exper- experiments uh, more so. But um, afterwards, in 2007 or eight, uh, I decided I would really like to uh, get into producing I love the idea of creating music on my own because back uh, up until that point, I was just playing an instrument. So I was just interpreting somebody else's creations, which is actually another uh, topic of conversation, an interesting one. But um, yeah, I just got a computer. My dad helped me get a computer. I slowly started to learn some things on my own, but it was back then when I first um, first met Vlad over MySpace and he was way more advanced. And I think he, he was one of the people who taught me a lot of the basic things that, that got me going into, into production. And, um, was Vlad based near you as well? Location wise, did he live near you? Uh, well he does now, but back then he was in Norway. Okay. So did the collaboration start quite early on with him? So we met in 2007, I think it was early year 2007, so January or February, and I recall inviting him to play a party with me and another friend of mine, Razvan. We were kind of playing together at the time uh, at some smaller parties in Bucharest. We invited him to join us, and then we created this uh, sort of band. It wasn't wasn't necessarily a band, it was just like a group called Fangnat. We made some tunes together, but then um, Vlad and I kind of grew closer and we started making more music together. So organically, I think it happened around 2009 that we really uh, decided to have a name for the project that was Sideways Invisibility Theory, also known as SIT. But yeah, I think it took like a year or a year or year and something but back then he he was studying in norway so he couldn't be in in bucharest for that long he was just coming for small bouts of i don't know five days or seven days or or i would go to him in norway and make some music but we were limited in the amount of time that we had together and at this point what was your production level like were the tunes you're making getting played is this 2009 uh yes that was in 2009 yeah they were getting played i mean the the scene was in a different place back then i feel um people were intrigued by this new romanian wave that was coming in and i think that that opened up a lot of doors to to every one of us and i'm very grateful for that but that being said i think maybe the doors were opened a little bit too quickly and didn't didn't give us time to properly mature ourselves as producers I think that kind of happened over time and we were we had the opportunity to release 
some tracks very early on in our careers, not necessarily for Vlad because he was all, he was all already an experienced producer, but I feel for myself, I, I put out some tracks that I'm not necessarily very proud of. Yeah. They were just a product of my knowledge back at the time. And, you know, I just see it as a constant progression. I think it's easy to look back and say, I wish I didn't do that, but without them initial releases, you won't be exactly where you are now. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I said I'm grateful. So I read an interesting thing and it was saying that your taste always develops quicker than your skills. And as we get better, we kind of catch it up. But I remember for me, like seven years ago, I would make a track and then, you know, it felt like release schedules. Even then it was like two years sometimes for a release to come out. And by the time it came out, I was like, ah, oh, I actually completely hate that sound. And then <laughs> yeah, tune up as a go, but even maybe like even this year, even the music I put out now, I feel by the time it comes out, my taste is kind of just stretched away and right yeah i'm constantly catching up with the skill but i think being able to accept that and realizing it's part of art and and acknowledging taste just does change because what's ironic is a lot of the tracks i wouldn't say a lot but some tracks i made when my skill level was literally there and that maybe now it's there they got played just as much as some of the tracks now and it's not necessarily as my skills have got better, my music's got better. Cause sometimes, you know, the simple ideas and the simple techniques actually were super, super effective. And it's this whole thing of like, oh, I wish I'd never released any music and waited until I was amazing. But then sometimes the projects when I had less knowledge were really, really effective. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. The thing with music is it's what the feeling that it gives you. That's that's the essence of it, first of all. And that has nothing to do with how complex it is. I have a specific example in mind. When we put out the first album as, as Sit together in 2014, I think it was, and we divided it into three parts. And the first one was quite quite elaborate in, in, in a production sense. So we had like some tracks with a lot of instruments, a lot of things going on. And we put it out and we expected it to be very well received and we got some reviews saying like yeah it's quite boring and i'm like <laughs> it's a track with two bass lines and some like a lot of arpeggiators and like it's shifting all around and i i thought it was very complex you know and then we put out the second thing which had some slightly older tracks that were very simple like two note bass lines and whatever but it had a certain feeling you know and people will say wow that's amazing i'm like how can you hate a track that has so many elements and we put so much work into it. And then you love a track that we literally done in 10 minutes. So, you know, it, it, it just has to do with, with the feeling that it, it gives you when you listen to a track. It's, it's, um, it takes shape as, as anything in nature. You know, I see it as a, I see it as a flower. It doesn't have to be, a. I don't know. It doesn't have to be something very sophisticated. It just has to give you that, that feeling when you look at it, when you listen to it. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast from Rick Rubin, the famous um, sound engineer who's worked with loads of pop stars. And he was saying that time spent on something does not equate to it being better. But he was saying that you can't skip the iterations. You may still need to do 100 iterations on a track to then realize that the first version was the best. The first so, version was the best, yeah. yeah. So you, you, can, you can be aware that the first version can be the best, but you still need to do all the iterations to realize the first one was the realize best. Realize that, yeah. So it's, it's yeah. not really a skip. So for me now, I need to start saving different versions of the project, especially when I get towards the end. Because I found before that the actual mixed version, 
then lost the vibe of the unmixed version but yeah, because i didn't save it. anything in between and i've released tunes and i'm like wait a sec this sketch i put up on soundcloud sounded better than the original the, the finished version so yeah i do that too i think that's a very good that's a very good way of working i literally save if i work on a track the next day i'm gonna save it as mix two and mix three and always go back and compare because you never know but yeah uh it, it's funny you you mentioned that podcast i'm also watching it is it the one with andrew huberman or no the, i'm listening to the tim ferris one but i've seen he's got a, tim ferris yeah. he's got a new book so i'm he's been on like i'm reading that podcasts. i'm literally going through that uh, now <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get it but it, the podcast was so interesting the the ideas he said about they spoke about sampling and, and hip-hop producers how when he's got someone in say it's drake for example they will sit back and they will just play records and they'll wait for that bit that makes them go oh that's insane and they take such care in listening to the record and that exact moment they say ah oh, it was that that two second clip and then he's like what is it about that clip that you really liked and they sample that and they'll sit there all day especially when the magic isn't happening they said they'll just sit back and just put a record on and listen and then when there's that moment, that feeling, they'll then take that and then they'll sample that and then they'll listen to some more records and really take time over the sampling process. Whereas, you know, sometimes I'm like, YouTube, find a video. Oh, that's cool. And then, you know, take some inspiration from there instead of spending a day listening to old records I like and um, different genres and different all sorts and thinking, ah, oh, I want to take this vibe and put it into my music. Right. Yeah. I've also watched the clip specifically regarding what you said about Rick Rubin, he said that he doesn't have a lot of musical experience. He can barely play instruments. He doesn't have a lot of technical experience, but what he does have, and it's, he thinks it's his greatest strength is the ability to know what he likes. And obviously that's a very important, uh, that's a very important thing because if you can, be right in so many genres ranging from Metallica to Drake. That means that you have something there, you know? Yeah. Then I saw another funny meme saying there'll be so many people now who think they're Rick Rubin and not know how to use any equipment and little sit in studios. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. I spoke to Trauma about this a long, long time ago. He won't remember it was at an after party and we spoke about collaboration with people and he was saying about how certain people are just good when they're in the room because they have ideas and know, know what to do with it. Whereas you get other people who are technically super good. Like I know friends who are actually insane producers technically, but they can't really bring either ideas to life or they struggle to actually get ideas. So it's really, you know, that middle ground is good where you don't necessarily have to be technically incredible, but if you can really envision things and, you know, start to turn them ideas into sounds, it can really help you. Yeah, of course. I think that, that, takes me to an idea that i'd read in a quincy jones book uh that's that's also pretty good on on it's called 12 notes on life and creativity he says get out of your own way um and i can truly relate to that because um from my musical background i was used to always playing very complicated stuff and as we mentioned before it's not the complicated stuff that resonates with people it's the simple things and um I think you can have a lot of technical abilities, but if you don't know how to get out of your own way and kind of just feel what resonates with, with you and with people and you're kind of getting excited that, wow, this is so elaborate and whatever, then that may be detrimental to your work. So you just have to like take a step back and just focus on the little things that kind of 
give that track give the track or the any bit bit of music that that essence that vibe interestingly i've always wondered so you're from a musical background and i would say house music in general is quite simple and sometimes i think like okay actual musicians must look at house music and think ah oh, you know that's super super basic but i do seem to notice quite a few people who come from musical backgrounds then they come into house music and seem to be hooked is there something there for you seeing both sides of it which just gets people in the zone of electronic beats is it the simpleness which is what brings people in because i've always been i don't know i guess for me because i've never played an instrument properly i've always felt like ah, oh, i'm not really a musician but then you get people who have done you know super advanced um, piano or classical etc but then they're coming to house music and i'm like this is so simple why would you come this way when you're all over there well first of all it's a very different process uh as i mentioned the, the process of interpreting somebody else's creation is very different from creating your own but that only relates to production um in terms of just getting into house music i think the subtlety that's what i really love the subtlety of things that were happening in the background, uh, things that weren't necessarily very obvious to somebody who listened to it for the first time, you know? People would say, yeah, it's just a four on the floor thing. And I'm like, no, like, listen carefully. There's so many things happening in the background. And I think that's the beauty of electronic music. That's the beauty of its aesthetic, you know? That it, it all comes down to to modulation and change and subtlety but this comes back to the thing about the taste kind of growing quicker than the skills and the more you listen to house music the more you kind of notice the you know the pearl on stuff for example or you start to hear things people don't because you could play the same set to a completely different audience all they can hear is oh it all sounds the same then you play the exact same music to someone who's maybe listened to a few more years and they're the ones talking about oh the arpeggiated um synth lead or the modular percussion etc yeah yeah of course i mean when it comes to minimal music i find that choosing your elements properly is maybe one of the most important things during the pandemic i've quite developed a taste for for idm and gone through all of the reflex uh loop vibrant square pusher discographies and like really really got hooked into some of that sound and when i listen to it i'm like how the how the whatever <laughs> these guys do these things you know so yeah when it comes to taste developing better than faster than your skills totally relate to that it's still i'm I'm still wondering how some some apex twins uh fx twin records were produced back in the 2000s like how the fuck did he do certain like granular or like stutter chops that he was doing back then so are there any observations or things you figured out in this past few months that you could be worth sharing when listening to this kind of music? Um, you mean IDM music or just... Yeah, any, any, any kind of like, you've like, ah, oh, that's how they did this or I could do this inside the box or any cool little tips or tricks? There is a lot of potential in using the sampler uh, in live. I've seen uh, an interesting... Um, I've seen an interesting tutorial with Ski Mask, if, if you know Ski Mask. No, I've not heard from of him. Alien Tape. He's this German producer, does all sorts of music from uh, ambiental to drum and bass. Very, very talented guy. Uh, definitely look him up. And he basically takes aim and breaks 
and puts them into a sampler, then duplicates the files, and then they, he would split them up with um, with the velocity function. If you basically select all of the clips that you put one on top of the other, and then distribute ranges equally, and then he would just kind of chop the breaks up in that way, and then would make a group out of them and put different effects on the groups, sort of like a, a amplifier or then a beat repeat or and according to uh, according to the velocity that they're playing, they're gonna each clip is gonna play differently and it's gonna have different effect on it. So that's I mean that's just one of the things that I've recently got into. I haven't fully got to the potential of the of the technique, but it's some something worth checking out, especially if you're into like drum and bass and uh, the IDM sort of production thing. So how do you see your sound evolving this year in terms of clubs? Because even I've thought in the past few weeks, like, ah, I really want to keep pushing it forward and doing something fresh. Is that something you think about as well? Yes, definitely. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I'm I'm in a bit of a crossroads because I feel that I, I like so many different things that um, I'm a little bit uncertain to where I want to go. But at the same time, I know that exploration is one of the best things for creativity so i'm just gonna let it flow as it is i'm just gonna make beats if they're either drum and bass or ambient or techno or house or whatever i like all sorts of stuff i love your stuff i love uh as i mentioned idm stuff uh i love minimal music as well so maybe people say that i'm a little bit too i'm too over the place or all over the place but um there's things to learn in every type of music. So I think it's it's just good to kind of try and make whatever comes out and then see because it's 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 good to explore. Do you ever feel a pressure to play a certain sound? Yes, yeah. Uh, depending on the situation, depending on the gig, the the location, yes. But that's also an important thing to teach yourself to kind of adapt and obviously do a good job for the event itself and for the people that are in front of you, but also also present your own aesthetic and your, your own musical taste. It's finding that middle ground, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I've said it before on a podcast and it's about um, deciding is DJing a service or an art? But I think it lies somewhere in between. If you're getting paid to go and do something, you're delivering a service while still presenting your art. And you have to kind of just dip in and out, I think, of a bit of education, a bit of entertaining and try and find something where, yeah, it's all about reading the crowd as well, I guess. Exactly, exactly. And I think it, it, it's not that hard, but if you if you can get the crowd's interest in the first, let's say, two hours of your set, and then you have another hour where they fully trust you because it, it's also a matter of trust then you can kind of expose to your expose your own aesthetic and they would maybe be more willing to understand so what countries do you feel more at home i guess when you're playing these days it's very difficult to say because the the scene has changed pretty much uh i think it just depends on the context for example, I've played my first gig in Ljubljana in Slovenia, and that was completely amazing. Everybody was totally into what I was doing. I I tried to play everything, and 
everything seemed to work. But there are certain gigs where you feel the pressure to play more pumping or yeah, it, it's it's just about the context. I I couldn't. It's hard. It's hard to name because, for example, a, a country, an interesting country that I've played two times in the past three months is Greece, and the scene there is is pretty old, but has suffered a lot during the years. Um, Athens is an amazing city, and it has an amazing club called Six Dogs, and I played there with Vlad. It was amazing. People were music lovers they know what they were coming from the the party was amazing and then i played in thessaloniki for for some friends and you could see that the the scene is at is at its beginning i really felt the need to play very punchy so that people would understand and kind of get into the mood of the party i didn't feel that pressure in athens but i did feel it in thessaloniki so that's why i'm saying it it all depends on the context of of the city, of the scene in the specific city. As you know, in the UK, scenes are pretty different from one city to another. The UK is weird because we call them small town gigs, like where the people I speak to. It's when you play a, either kind of like a small city or somewhere that's just generally not a big one. So not like your London, your Manchester, um, Birmingham. So it just tends to be a completely different vibe there. So it's still there. It's like completely new because the people necessarily going to the parties aren't into the music really. They're just going to the party because it's their friend's party. And you can kind of always tell when it's like that. And they're the ones right. to kind of play quite banging. And, and because I'm from England, I always know exactly what these people want to hear. And I knew it because at once upon a time, I was either part of that crew or even when I was going to raise when I was 18, I'd be bringing people with me, but I knew exactly what they wanted to hear. And you can kind of see that in some of the, some of the smaller places in England when I play there. So what are the, um, what are the big gigs for you now on the calendar then? Um, so I know some waves must still be up there. Yeah, certainly. Well, the, I think the confirmed ones that I have this year, uh, one that I'm really looking forward is Gotwood. Nice. I'm, um, going to play Unum in Albania with Vlad, which is certainly going to be super nice. I'm playing Rex in Paris, and that's always super nice. Obviously, the one with you, <laughs> that's also <laughs> going to be really nice. I think that those are kind of the highlights for now. Um, I'm doing a tour in the States next month, and that's always very interesting, especially because you mentioned that even in the small town gigs, that you have parties where friends go out just because their friends are playing or their friends are, are promoting the party. And you kind of have that vibe in the States still, even if it's a big town gig, you yeah. still have a lot of people that come out just because it's a friend of a friend. And somehow you still have that sort of mixed vibe at an event, you know, especially in New York, like New York can have the same party two days in a row. I've I literally seen that happen where you have completely different people just because somebody heard that there's a party and then their friends are coming and their friends' friends are coming and so forth. Yeah, I've heard some wild stories about America. Like people go to the club super late, like four in the morning and things like that. Yeah, depending on the city. Yes. Yeah. How's preparation for some waves changed over the years? Because I've been, when did I go? Maybe like six years ago now. And it's clear from the videos on social media, the sound has changed a lot from the from the temp four. Then when I went, it was super, super minimal. Um, well, I'm, I'm assuming it was even more minimal, maybe 10 years ago. But it seems to be a lot more pumping these days. Has has the way you prepared for them gigs changed a lot? Yeah, I think, first of all, 
the vibe, the the energy has changed for me as a DJ as well. I f- I don't feel like playing minimal anymore after the pandemic. I don't know something changed, and I think a lot of people have the same approach as I do, and it it's just a natural. It's just a natural change, if if you ask me. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna prepare differently. Um, I've always liked playing different things. I've always liked listening to different things, and I think that kind of showed in my DJ sets. I hope, at least. Um, so yeah, if if I'm gonna prepare, I'm gonna try and implement as many as many genres as I can. Obviously, still keeping it together. Um, but yeah yeah i do have feelings towards the kind of traditional sound that's played there and i feel like it didn't quite evolve um because i was really hooked in it for a bit but it never seemed to move forward and i see some people now who are still playing that um well it's, it's weird now because it seems to have gone into a i'm sure you hate the word but this row minimal subgenre. but it, right yeah it seems to have gone to like a lot of edits all the time you know it's just kind of a popular pop tune but then with this classic drum loop but the drum sounds quite digital now as well because i remember when i was really digging deep into this sound and i was i saw a lot of people using the mfb tans bar yeah i recently saw that <laughs> <laughs> well there you go <laughs> yeah i was never into the the edits thing uh, or into the raw minimal thing i mean it was a movement i i won't deny that um i wasn't necessarily part of it and i feel that over the years uh, Vlad and I kind of got criticism over it when everybody was playing very minimal. We weren't playing that minimal and we weren't such a big act in Romania for, for that particular reason. I think I we we just focused on making music, not necessarily thinking that it should be real minimal. What I would say is that I like musicality in any sort of music, you know, and that very minimalistic sort of one note bass line, very uh, psychedelic pads sort of sound is not my taste. It doesn't have to be my taste. Everybody listens to whatever they they like. But I would I would just say that I'm in a different different place musically. Yeah, I think it just got quite formulated in the end. Yes, yeah. In that sense, I, I think it's very easy to understand. You know, it's very easy to relate to it, especially. If you have a very underground party with a lot of drugs and stuff, it's a it's a easy music to listen to, especially when they're going on for three days. <laughs> especially when it, it's going on for three days, yeah, exactly. Um, to come back to the early stories of your introductory electronic music, when was the actual first international gig for you? My first one was in uh, Berlin, two thousand and ten, um, and it was through the. Romanian Cultural Institute. So I had done a an experimental uh, CD EP uh, for this um, for this community for this uh, nonprofit organization like Minimal Community in Romania back then, and they ran, they set up this gig in in Berlin in a warehouse. It was it was quite funny, and I, now I know the area very well. It's close to Warschauerstrasse. The street is called Revalerstrasse, and it's filled with like all sorts of clubs and warehouses. Obviously, it was a bad party. It was like twenty people there, but we were very excited to be in Berlin. So yeah, that that was the first one, and I think um, very close to that, I had an, a second gig, which was 
like kind of like a high pressure gig, even if it was a small club. Pedro invited me to play with him at Robert Johnson in 2011. Wow. And yeah, and that was a very, very big one. And how did that go? That went amazing because the that club is so good in the f- sense that it makes you feel at home. It's a very, very special vibe. It's small, but it sounds amazing. And it took me maybe 30 minutes to get used to the to the rain mixer because they had the EQs or the 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 faders on top of the EQs. They weren't faders, they were actually rotary faders, but you know what I mean. So the, the layout of the mixer was a little bit differently and you kind of had to know the intricacies of the slope of the fader. But once you get used to that, it, it was a really amazing atmosphere to play in. When you look back at them times playing Robert Johnson, etc., did you feel more immersed in the whole DJ lifestyle scene compared to now when you've got a family and spending more time, you know, doing studio work, etc.? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Because um, those are were just my priorities. You know, I was 20 something. I didn't have access to technology a lot during my high school years. I was very focused on, on uh, just playing the cello, playing the instrument that I was taught i just wanted to have fun you know (laughs) it was an escape for me and especially like kind of getting gigs and going to parties and losing myself it was it was something that i was fully into for for a couple of years yeah i I can't help but feel though with technology that kind of romantic side of being immersed in the whole scene's gone a bit it has yeah yeah everybody is a lot more into into production and into healthier living. uh, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I remember when I used to read, you know, like um, interviews with certain DJs and they would talk about their seasons in Ibiza, where they'd be doing the party every Wednesday, after party all day, Thursday, sleep Thursday night, then play the gig Friday, Saturday, back to Ibiza and then do it again. But I can't help but feel only a tiny percentage of um, artists are doing that now but also i think it's because the summer schedule so many artists now there's gigs all the time which has stopped um you know them gaps in between being able to party etc yeah i mean i'm um, a little bit envious of of those guys who can have such busy schedules and still make time to to make music um i i can't work that way if i have a, a month such as, uh, I don't know, July last month when I had 13 shows, I, I couldn't make anything else apart from just like listening to to some music or setting up my hard drive for the next gig, getting some rest and then going back on the road. I, th- I think it's a little bit too much for me, but uh, yeah, hands down to the guys who can pull it off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just... It, it was just how that particular month was was laid down. I had another month last year when I did like 11 shows or something. That's a little bit too that's <laughs> How a little do bit you manage that? That's me. a lot of shows in one but month. But it's just, you just go with the flow. There's nothing else to, to say. You just uh, get some rest whenever you can. Try to uh, be in touch with music, the music you receive, the music you generally um look for um you dig and kind of prepare yourself mentally and physically to be the best that you can be in the dj booth so do you have certain disciplines when on the road or is it just a matter of going with the flow and taking each gig as it comes well generally yeah i I mean 
nowadays I try to be as as uh, responsible as possible. I'm trying not to uh, drink that much. I had some years when I was partying quite hard, um, but I'm not in that place anymore. I try to read. I try to meditate. I try to prepare myself physically first of all because you you need to have that stamina especially when you have a when you have a busy schedule yeah you mentioned andrew hoopman earlier has he played an impact on some of your practices yeah a lot man a lot since i discovered him i was actually discovered him like a year and probably a year and a half ago uh when his channel was still quite small and I've tried to implement as as many of his protocols as I possibly could. I'm doing like uh, light exposure in the first hour of the day as much as I can. I'm doing cold exposure since one year now. And it has helped me a lot because especially when you have a busy schedule, I was sick all the time. Uh, that takes a big toll on your immunity system. And having healthy protocols to balance that lifestyle is is really important especially when you pass 30. Yeah, I think it's amazing how he's breaking down such complex um topics and giving you actionable steps to go and implement into your life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think first of all it's amazing that you have access to that information but take it from me it's the the most imp- the most difficult thing is to implement it on a daily <laughs> basis. I know. Like even when I even this morning when I jumped into the cold shower, like every morning since one year, I'm having second thoughts about getting into that cold water. But then after you do it, you kind of mentally put yourself through that stress and it gives you a sense of determination to be able to do what, what you set yourself to achieve, you know? Then I go to the I can go to the studio and I set up I set myself a particular task for that day and I know that I can be mentally prepared to to handle it yeah i totally agree man so christy it's been great to chat is there anything else you want to add today or any any shout outs or anything to check out from your side uh not necessarily i'm going to make as much music as i possibly can and when the time's come when the time comes i'll definitely let you know (laughs) nice on man and we'll be playing together in april Anyone that's listened this far, 53 minutes in, I will tell you, it is me, Christy, and Sonia Manier. So um, I've really big you and me party. That. So that's going to be a good one, man. Okay, nice cool. one for your Thank time, you for man. the invitation, brother. It's an absolute pleasure. I will send you everything on Instagram, and I'm looking forward to seeing you soon, bro. Sounds good. Talk to you soon, See brother. See you soon, man. Ciao.